The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook if you sign up for a two-week trial of their service. Audible has 40,000 titles available to download. For all the details, follow the links at guardian.co.uk slash audible. Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and this is Media Talk Extra. And, doing my very best impression of Jeremy Vine on the top of Panorama, here's a little bit of blurb. The Third Coast International Audio Festival has just taken place in Chicago. It's a showcase of the very best feature-making and storytelling from around the radio world. The Guardian's Francesca Panetta, who's no stranger to a soundscape or an experimental bit of multi-layered audio jiggery-pokery, went along to the Windy City. This is all her work, so sit back and enjoy. Well, it is all about art and craft. Okay, I'm sitting down and I've got my eyes closed. Hi, I'm Johanna Zorn, and I'm Executive Director of the Third Coast International Audio Festival. And I'm Julie Shapiro, Artistic Director of the festival. What we're doing this weekend is we've gathered uh, about 380 producers from all over the world to come to Chicago for a weekend of simply discussing the art and craft of making radio. Well, my name's Andy Mills, and I'm an independent producer here in Chicago, and I'm here to hang out with other nerds that love radio as much as me and hopefully learn how to make better radio. I love coming here. I love coming to Third Coast and, and feeling inspired. This is the place where people who thought a lot about listening come to recharge their batteries and think about what it means to make sound and weave sound together and it's a tribe like no other. There are sessions about how to um, read your script better and there are sessions about writing and sessions about sound design and sessions, fill in the blanks here, <laughs> uh, sessions about creating audio tours for in, in a space, moving around a space and, and figuring out how to communicate that as people are moving around for mobile tours. And uh, there's sessions on. about local radio. Um, that's really a big thing in, in the United States right now. Uh, with so much, so many options on the radio, local radio has become so much more important because that's what you can do uniquely in your city. So there's a, a session about the what the seven best ha- habits of, of local radio, seven highly effective habits of local creative radio. Um, there's also a great session about uh, technology and equipment because as things are changing so much, we have someone here, Jeff Town, who's uh, really a guru in the tech uh, field, and that's very helpful for people working on their own or have questions about what kind of equipment they should buy. And he's testing things out and playing examples of how different mics and recorders sound. So a little bit of the nitty-gritty tech stuff, but very helpful for the producers who are here. I just came from a session with Stephen Tilley, who's a sound engineer from uh, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And I'm, I'm really quite fond of, of sound design and, you know, the, the kind of pictures and adventure that it takes you on. And uh, he's a master at it. Okay. I'm sitting down and I've got my eyes closed. Uh, my name is Stephen Tilley. I'm a sound engineer with the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, ABC, in Sydney, Australia and I work for the Radio National Network. It's a rainy night. Uh, It's an old, old house in Camaray that I live in. It's very, very dark, probably because it's winter. And the tin roof on the old house, um, yeah, sort of seems to be being scratched by a tree and the rain coming down on it. It's quite spooky. 
sound can do more than just um, be a literal rendering of what the words are saying. Sound can actually assist in telling the story. It can tell a story by itself. It can even tell a contradictory story. It's, it's actually a very powerful storytelling tool. So the environment that I'm in is, is quite spooky and I'm listening to The Tempest. All hail, great master, grieve, sir, hail! I worked on a program called Listening to Ghosts. Um, it was conceived by a producer called um, Tom Morton and he had this idea about um, the nature of sound as a ghostly, a ghostly presence that in the past it was impermanent. That you, you either heard it on the radio and then it disappeared so it existed in your memory as this ghost but now we can download things so we don't get that sense of a ghostly imprint and he wanted to question whether people listen to the radio in the same way. And I worked with Tom in the studio to, he had these ideas and interviews and we wanted to construct something together that um, gave a sound feel to some of those ideas. The ideas of ethereal sounds drifting in and out, you know, the ra- radio, the ether, things, things drifting in and out in strange ways. So we were looking at sounds like shortwave sounds. Um, we were looking at, um, at one point in the program, there's a woman talking about her experience of listening to a radio play, The Tempest, during a storm. So we, we were using thunder and and rain to try and not so much literally recreate the experience but have the listener um, tune into the the emotional mood of how that woman is talking. But I think the most powerful sounds are the shortwave sounds because they're such beautiful musical sounds of radio peaking, fading in and out and they're beautiful sounds to work with. You've been going for 10 years now. How have things changed over that period? Well, in terms of stylistically, I think there was a big shift right as we were starting our festival. So right at about 10 years ago, a little bit earlier than that, This American Life went on the air. So this idea of telling stories, you know, beginning, middle, end, and not necessarily calling them documentaries, but really telling them like human American stories, uh, it was really becoming a very popular thing. So Ira and This American Life, Ira Glass, um, influenced so many people. From WBEZ Chicago, it's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass. Act one, love is a battlefield. In this act, a family faces a kind of profound question. Can you teach love? Even to a child who has all sorts of reasons not to learn love. Well, I'm here now with Ira Glass, who's practically a national treasure here in the States through his show, This American Life, which he created 15 years ago. He presents it every week and it attracts nearly two million listeners and it's become a cult hit around the world in its podcast form. Ira, can you set up your show for me? Tell me what it's about. Well, it's sort of, it's sort of a hard show to describe uh, quickly. It's documentary shows for people who hate documentaries. Uh, so so we never actually use the word documentary on the air and, and we have stories that are generally a little funnier and more emotional than I think a traditional um, kinds of broadcast news reporting is. We want the stories to be actual stories with characters and scenes and they pull you in and you get involved and you want to know what happened. His first crush was Batgirl. Even now, he says, if he just sees the colors of Batgirl's costume, just the colors, no image at all, just the colors, his heart still skips a beat. He invented his own superhero called the Hurricane who could shoot blasts of wind from his hands and was drawn with huge manly muscles. He made a hurricane costume to wear 
red T-shirt with a black circle with an H on it, a mask that his mom made for him, a yellow cape. There were a few times where I actually came to school with bits of a superhero costume secreted under my school uniform. I guess I don't exactly know why. I guess I thought it was like it was, it was going to give me some sense of power or something. But of course, then I have gym class, you know, so you have to change your clothes. So. When we started most of the show, we was applying the tools of journalism to just everyday life, to very personal stories. And, uh, and then over the years, actually, we've, we've gone on a much more kind of newsy focus where we'll actually take that kind of storytelling and do stories about uh, Iraq and uh, the presidential election or the midterm elections here. There's a lot of African-Americans that are very disheartened with the Democratic Party. And they see the abandonment of Barack as the abandonment of black people. That's Greg Shropshire of Rome, Georgia, a past president of the local chapter of a service organization called the 100 Black Men of America. He feels that the Democratic Party as a whole has not stood by Barack Obama. So you don't see any conflict between traditional storytelling and straight journalism news? I mean, I don't see a conflict. I mean, I feel like there's, there's, you know, there's always been a tradition of, of feature reporting. Um, and, and the thing we're doing, I feel like, plays out a lot like a good feature magazine piece, like in print, you know, like where just the characters are very, very strong and, and, uh, and you have the time and the space to, to actually let the story live in a way where, where one can feel something about it. Our show today in two acts, act one, the conservatives, act two, the liberals. I think there's an aesthetics to most broadcast journalism that's really antique and that we exist partly in opposition to. You know, the, the, there's just a, there's a tone to the show that, that feels, I think, different than a lot of uh, journalism. It's also quite a kind of production-heavy show as well. I mean, you talk about it being traditional storytelling, but um, there is a big production effort that goes behind it. Yes, for for a radio show like it's 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 yeah we, we'll spend we'll spend it takes us three or four months to get together one episode of the show. I mean we're a weekly show and we do very ambitious things. You know like I'm I'm actually when we get done this interview I've got to go back up to the room where I am because I'm rewriting a story that I've been working on since since August where you know about a judge in Georgia who's up for re-election where this entire town is is arguing over her practices. You, you know, we just sent two reporters to Iraq for a month as U.S. troops were pulling back. To you know, I just these are just some of these things are just massive, massive projects. And uh, it's a staff of eight producers. And I mean, some of the stories we do, some some of the best stories we do are just straight up. You know, an interview. I'll sit down with somebody for an hour, and we'll you know chop it down and score it with music like it's a movie. Um, like that's one thing we do a lot of. But I would say now probably three fourths of the stuff we do is this very uh, labor intensive, heavy reported kinds of stuff. And you're very much involved in the production process. This is not a, a pull in the presenter at the last moment, get them to read a script. You're absolutely in there right from the beginning, aren't you? Well, it's funny because I actually wasn't aware that, that people, people actually did that. Um, I, I, I'm very, very involved. Yes, no, I'm, I'm in the end, I'm one of the editors for everything in the show. Like I and the senior producer go through every single thing in the show many, many times. Um, and uh, no, in fact, I just heard about like one of the other public radio hosts here in the United States who has a weekly show, comes in for one day a week, and the staff does everything else. I didn't even realize that that model actually existed here in the States. So yeah, no, no, I'm more of like a 70 or 80 hour work week kind of person. I just wanted to ask you about the title, This American Life. What makes it American? We are Americans. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I mean, truthfully, like naming the show is a real problem, and and we've tried been trying to get on the BBC, and I feel like the 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 and and uh, the title has really proved quite an impediment in in international distribution. So you're trying to syndicate it to Britain right now. We are. We're actively like trying to get it on the BBC, which which actually feels like it feels honestly like getting getting inside the BBC feels like like a James Bond <laughs> movie from the 60s where we're and trying to penetrate the Kremlin where somebody has to talk to somebody else. We've literally been told, no, 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 don't go in the front door. Like, don't go in and just ask to speak to the like, head programming because they, they'll, they'll never talk to you. But what you need is you need this person to introduce someone to this person and then and then quietly, perhaps at a coffee, you know, could you be in London in, you know, in November? You know, it's, it's, all, it's all very, very odd. It really is very, very, very Baroque. What would this British life sound like? I would expect it to sound... I mean, I don't know enough about, about, about uh, Britain, is the truth. I don't know. I know nothing about life in other countries. So we're uh, at a set of tables just outside of the main ballroom, and we have a number of organizations here, American Public Media, PRX, PRI. Uh, and so I'm at the American Public Media table, and we're looking at an application for the iPhone, iPod Touch, and the iPad. And it's an audio editor. It's like a GarageBand or Pro Tools, but on your phone. So what can you do with it? Talk, talk me through the app. Sure. So you can record audio. You can edit. So you uh, bring in audio. You can trim the heads and tails, add fades, change volumes, lay up four tracks, so four simultaneous sounds. And you can mix anywhere from you know, a 10-second piece to a two-hour piece. When you're done mixing, then you can save that session. You can mix it down, and you can send that final audio to wherever you want. And you've set the delegates here a challenge, haven't you? That's right. So we have a contest here where everyone gets a free copy of the app. Normally it's $10 in the app store, but for everyone here it's free. And everyone is invited to record some story, something relating to the concept of 10. 10 stories, 10 ideas, 10 sounds, a memory from when you were 10, just something to do with 10, uh, because this is Third Coast's 10-year anniversary. And so you, re- uh, you edit that story together, and if you can get it to us by 2 p.m., on Saturday, we'll listen to all of the stories, and by 4 p.m., we'll select our favorite one, and we'll give the person who made that a free iPad. The minute, the minute I, I heard my first love story, story I started looking, I started for looking you, not for knowing how blind that not was. Not knowing how blind Lovers that don't was. finally meet. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're in each other all along. All They're along. They're in each other. <laughs> um, I just came from a session about uh, narrating, doing voiceovers. Although they call it tracking here, I'd never really heard that term. I mean, often we don't have the luxury of having an editor sit down with us. Most people were commenting, you know, most of the day we're, we're narrating sitting in our closets in the dark. Um, but it was nice to watch, you know, an editor listen to someone do a voiceover and be like, no, no, it's got to be slower or, yeah, more conversational. So, um, yeah, it was interesting to sort of sit back and watch that. I got to listen to Scott Carrier, who's a big hero of mine. He's been on This American Life. He was on Day to Day when that was a program. And he does nonfiction pieces sometimes about current events of politics, about the news, but they're always from a personal perspective. But they're unlike most personal radio stories that you hear, partly because he's very peculiar. My wife Hillary is a beautiful swimmer, relaxed, graceful. She just sort of slimmers around on top of the water. I didn't know this about her when I met her. I knew she grew up on a lake in New Hampshire, but I'd never seen her swim until this summer when we spent a few weeks at the lake visiting her parents. What was most potent about what uh, he was talking about is 
just where the state of American radio is. And a lot of people, there are lots of elephants in the room to a certain extent that don't get discussed. And he brought those to the forefront. And that's, that's a tough thing to do when you're in front of 100 people. What, what was he saying? He was saying that um, some of the more challenging things that he has recorded don't get airtime. And that uh, he's um, sometimes the bridges that he's created don't always last. And that can be really hard in such a, um, not isolated, but very specific world of radio that we exist in here. And I'm sure that might be true for other countries as well, but I'm most familiar with American radio. So what is out on the radio at the moment that is inspiring you? What are you listening to? The things that are inspiring me in America would be the things that you would most likely expect. Radio Lab. Radio Lab. Uh, I love Radio Lab. I think it's the best, probably the best radio show in the world right now. So you had This American Life, which is a fabulous storytelling program. And then sort of the next exciting project after that, really the one that is bringing in a whole new generation of listeners, is Radio Lab. <coughs> You're listening to Radio Lab. It's two very chatty guys um, talking about science, but to say that doesn't capture just how amazing that show is. <laughs> Let's just do it. You're going to do it? Okay. Let's just freaking do it. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krilwich. This is Radio Lab, the podcast. The podcast. Our, today's topic is, um, well, you know what? Something you just did. I didn't. I had my eyes closed the whole time. Oh, you gave it away. <laughs> you know what I'm about to say. Pretend you don't know what I'm saying. Okay. Can I have a level? Hello, hello. Testing, testing, testing. Can you identify yourself for me? Oh, Jad Abumrad. I'm the host and producer of Radio Lab from WNYC and NPR. And... Let's see, how would I describe it? It's, uh, it's me and another guy, Robert Krolwich. And we... It's like we're sitting at some kind of surreal diner. And we're, we're talking about things that interest us. Ideas that we find fascinating. Tell me. Okay, you blinked. Oh. Is about, do you ever wonder... Um, I, I know this about blinks. This is interesting. What? When you blink, you should, if you really understand... What's it's like on. we're sitting at some kind of surreal diner. And we're, we're talking about things that interest us, ideas that we find fascinating. Uh, except the rules of this diner are that every time you think something, it's there. You know, you have a thought bubble, it goes, doop, 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 and suddenly you're in some kind of theatrical scenario. Who are you going to ask this question to? A great scientist, a blinkologist? You will meet a blinkologist shortly, but first I want to take you to um, a guy who... who uh, well, he, he's a blinkologist of a different sort, let's say. <laughs> he doesn't really study blinks per se, but he, well, he sort of stumbled into it. My name is Walter Murch. I'm a film editor, and I've been working as a, both as a film editor and as a sound mixer since the late 1960s. So I, I do a lot of the editing myself. Um, I, I write a lot of the music for the show. Uh, I now work with a couple people who have come to understand the style, and we, we're tossing things back and forth. We work with a lot of musicians. We try as much as we can to create surprises that are below the level of the story in the way that we cut things, in the way that sounds kind of enter and move and leave and kind of, it should feel a little bit dreamlike in the way that, that you feel a bit in a dream when you see something that amazes you. I want to sort of create an hour-long um, dwelling in that feeling. So Walter Murch is there, he's in the editing suite, he's trying to put it all together. And I was uh, working late at night all by myself. On this old editing machine. Making the tape go. Making it go backwards and forwards. Stop. Oh, look, that's terrible. Cut. Tap, 
dead on a park bench. Stop. And I was editing the scene when Gene Hackman is assembling. Get him for Christmas yet. He's already got out everything. The tapes. So how did you pitch this to National Public Radio? I mean, for those of you not familiar with NPR, it's kind of the equivalent of the BBC in the States. I mean, this must be an enormously production-heavy programme. How on earth did you convince them? We didn't. It never, it, there was never that conversation. You know, what ended up happening was I was doing a show that was a very different kind of show. It was called Radio Lab, but it was a show about uh, airing documentaries from the BBC, as, among other places. Uh, Robert and I became friends outside of that. Then suddenly we're working together in the wee hours of the morning and late at night. The show had zero listeners for a really long time. I mean zero. Sometimes I think if there, if there's, if there was ever a way to have less than zero, we had it. And uh, we just messed around. And um, the show evolved into its current state without anyone paying attention, without anyone listening. And by the time people began to listen, we had gone through this long period of just being sucky. I don't think we could pitch this show. I mean, if I went to the head of NPR and was like, okay, I've got the science show, but it's not really about science, it's kind of about philosophy, it's going to have theater, it's going to have all these kind of crazy sounds, going bing, 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 and it's going to take a long time to produce, and, uh, and you're going to love it. He'd be like, no, you know, no. Uh, but we never had that conversation. So I hear a lot of producers here being influenced and inspired by your work. I mean, where, where do you think audio is headed? That's a good question. Um, certainly on the radio. Uh, storytelling that's non-narrated is very hard these days. Uh, but here, in this room, uh, it seems to be a little island where that's not the case. I mean, I, I hear a lot of very experimental work. I hear a lot of kind of sound collage kind of work. I hear a lot of non-narrated stuff. Will you find those people at NPR? No. You know, will you find them at the BBC? Probably not as much. Um, maybe more so than NPR, certainly. Uh, you know, will you find it at some of the big national shows like ours? I mean, here and there. But I feel like those people are out there. I feel like there will always be a kind of a collection of people who, for whom sound is kind of like a drug. Well, that's one thing that really surprises me coming here is everyone is young, enthusiastic, cool. I mean... This month in the New York Review of Books, there is a big article about radio and how it's cool. This has not been the case before. Well, it's not so often that radio gets so much ink in <laughs> such a, a, a national, highly respected publication. So that really, um, that, that circulated around the radio community like wildfire. We were all so proud to see many of the people mentioned in that article, including Third Coast, are here. And it, was a real, it felt like a real triumph for us to get that attention and to get it from someone who's outside the radio world. He's a fan, but he's mostly a writer and very, you know, very um, well-respected for other topics and other fields, but including media. So for him to have come in and, and shared that perspective with people who probably haven't considered public radio in that way, because for a lot of the American public, NPR is the news and the breaking news, and you get your traffic report and you get your sort of weather report, and this idea of radio as an art form and a creative form has, is still taking hold, but that article, I think, is a great indication that it has a foothold here. You know, are, are we seeing the top of the arc now? Is this the best? Are these the best days? And are we going to see from here out such a melding, such a fusion of all the forms, photography, writing, audio, film, video, that, you know, we'll look back at these and say these were the good old days? I don't know. I know these are good times. 
but I don't know where we're headed. Don't forget to start your free 14-day trial of audible.co.uk and to download your free audiobook. Head to guardian.co.uk slash audible. The Guardian. The Guardian.